and we're going to come round to the Word of God uh, shortly. So if you've got a Bible with you this morning, if you want to turn, we're going to be in the book of Mark together today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14. So I'll give you a minute to get there and we'll uh, read together. Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 27. And this is what it says. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherds and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter, he insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to deeply be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it is possible that this hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and he prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said, Are you still sleeping, resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, for here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him with, the, with a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guards. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The man seized Jesus and arrested him. Then... One of those standing near drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come here with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. Then he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. 
The chief priests and the whole of the Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave his false false testimony against them. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made with human hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked, Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. The guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You're also with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she also Again, she, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near to Peter said, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean. He began to call curses down and he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed for a second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your words. We thank you for the realness of your words. We thank you, Lord God, for the way that your word indeed speaks to us today, into our lives and into our situations and into our circumstances. And we pray that as we look at this particular passage together today, as we open up some of the things about this amazing character, Peter, that, Lord, we will hear your voice speaking directly to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if this is your first time with us today, if this is your first time tuning in online, over the course of the past few weeks, we've been going through a season that we have entitled The Comeback. In every area of life over these last 18 months, let's not beat around the bush. We have all found certain aspects so incredibly difficult on so many levels. People have lost their jobs. People have got sick. Relationships have broken down. We have all felt isolated. We've all felt abandoned. We've all been left with questions at times about what God might be doing in our lives, in this situation, and in these circumstances. And the message really that I want you and I to see this morning from this particular passage of scripture is simple. What you have experienced up until this 
point is not the end. What you have faced up until this point in your life, up until this point in this pandemic, does not define you. With God, there is always a comeback. And today, as we encounter this next character in Scripture who experienced the comeback for himself, for me, what I want us to see above everything today is that failure is not fatal. You may, at times over this period or in your life in general, messed up, sinned, and turned your back on God and just simply got things wrong. And you have been left wondering, God, what on earth have you got for me now? Is this the end? God wants to tell you today, I believe, it's not over. He's not done with you. He's got more for you than you could ever possibly imagine. Let me tell you a story as we start this morning, of a man named Walter. Walter grew up in an incredibly, incredibly dysfunctional family with a dominant, domineering father. So much so that when this boy Walter, before in fact he was 16, him and his three brothers decided they were going to run away from home because they could not cope living with this man any longer. So that's what they did. Walter lied about his age in order to get into the army. But that finished for him at the age of around 22. And when it did, he decided he was going to start his own business up. Only for a few months later for that business to fail. And he had to declare bankruptcy. With only $40 in his pocket, he decided that he was going to move to California in order to start an acting career. But he never made it. So he and his brother, in the end, decided they were going to start an animation service but they never actually gained the rights to their own drawings and they lost ownership of all of their art. At this point in his life, Walter had what he described as a heck of a breakdown, but he didn't give up. He came up with this idea that he was going to draw a cartoon mouse, that he was going to call Mortimer Mouse, but his wife, she persuaded him that maybe Mickey Mouse was a better name for this mouse. So in 1928, Mickey Mouse was born. Walter, he produced several movies and several cartoons, but after World War II, he found his company $4 million in debt. He had this dream, though, to build a theme park in California called Disneyland, but he simply had no money for it. Walt was depressed. He was having a hard time dealing with the stress. He was wondering what on earth was going to become of his life. Finally, things turned around for Walt when he took a gamble on a new medium called television. The Mickey Mouse Club was born, Davy Crockett, the wonderful world of colour. And in 1955, he opened his first theme park. But that wasn't it. He had this dream that he was going to go on and build Disney World in a swampy area near a little town called Orlando. Walt died in 1966 at the age of 65 before Disney World opened. But today, this man's company is worth $75 billion. Walt Disney experienced several episodes of failure right across his life, but he never gave up. You see, failure is not the end. And with God, failure is not fatal. We're looking at this man named Peter together today. And in many respects... I can identify a little bit with Peter. Peter is a man who is full of passion. Peter is a man who at times can run head on into a situation and think about the consequences later on. Peter is a man who, because of his sheer passion, could often let his mouth run away with him. 
Peter was a man who loved the Lord with all of his heart, but messed up time and time again and found himself having to come back to Jesus time and time again and say, you know what? I got it wrong. And on one of those occasions, we've read about together this morning, we see Jesus telling his disciples at the Last Supper, you are all going to fall away. Jesus told them, because it was written, I will strike at the shepherds and the sheep will be scattered. But Peter was absolutely adamant that no matter what was going to happen to the rest of them, even if everyone else was to fall away, even if everyone else was to fail, he would never, ever turn his back upon Jesus. But that night they went to a garden and as Jesus prayed, Peter slept. The silence was eventually broken in that garden and Jesus was arrested and he was led away by people who wanted him off the scene and Peter follows on at a distance in order to see what is happening. And that night, whilst Jesus is being questioned, Peter is stood warming himself by a fire. Three times that night he's asked the question, you are one of them, aren't you? You know him, don't you? You were with him, weren't you? And every time... Peter denied, denied, denied. And then the rooster crowed. Peter had failed. Was everything that he had lived for up until that point in his life wasted? Were the last three years where he had followed this man, Jesus, around for absolutely nothing? Was it really all over because for a moment, for a brief moment, he wasn't able to stand up and have the courage that his convictions so desperately needed? Was there no way back for him? I wonder if you have been there. I wonder if there has been a time in your life where it feels like failure has overtaken you. Where maybe you once had a really strong relationship with the Lord, but at the moment it just feels in tatters because you've been rocked to the core. The reality is, church, we have all failed. We have probably all found ourselves in a similar position to Peter, where in either thought, word or deed, we have denied the Lord and said, I've never even met him. But what I want you to hear today is that failure is not fatal. There is always a way back when it comes to God and he can turn your mess into a message if you give it to him and place it in his hands. But to understand the way back to God, first and foremost this morning, we have to understand how so often we can arrive at points and moments of failure in our life. And I believe the story of Peter in general gives us some clues to that. Peter was a leader among the disciples. He certainly had a lot of bravery too. When everyone else had scattered, he was the one who followed on and followed Jesus to see what was going on and to see what was going to happen. But his bravery ran out when he was confronted about his association with Jesus. And looking at other instances in Peter's life, I think we can see at least three steps which show us something about the path of failure and how so easily and so often we can find ourselves on that particular path. The first is that we find ourselves heading towards failure when we find ourselves in disagreement with God's words. We see in the life of Peter this other incident in the gospel where Jesus takes his disciples away and he asks them a question. Who do people say that I am? And the answer came back. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist or one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, but who do you 
say that I am? And Peter, being this bold man of faith, gives the answer. He stands up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living gods. And at that point, Jesus compliments Peter for the answer. And then he starts to teach all of those who are around about what is going to happen to him. He starts to say that the Son of Man will be taken away. He'll be arrested. He'll be led away to his death. And then he will rise again. But Peter doesn't like what he's hearing at this point. He disagrees with the very words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth. And Jesus has to turn to him and say, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Do you see what happens here? Peter hears the words from Jesus' very mouth, but he disagrees with them. He thought he knew better, and he says, no, 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 Jesus. Let's stop all this talk about dying. That is not going to happen to you. You know, the first port of call where we often find ourselves failing is when we disregard the word of God. When the Bible is not our go-to for the way to live, to understand personal morality, for seeking wisdom about how to deal with certain situations that arise in our life and crop up time and time again, it ultimately leads to failure. Because what it does is it says that I know best about my life. I know best about how to live. I don't need to consult God. When in reality, more often than not, we don't know what is best for us. So let me ask you today. Are you feeling like a failure right now? Is there stuff in your life which you regret, that you're not proud of, that you're struggling with? How central is the word of God to your life? Because here's the thing. When we feel like we're failing we begin to believe the lies that the enemy speaks over us. And we don't hear what Jesus has to say to us. We don't read about how in Christ we're a new creation. We don't hear God speaking those words of affirmation over us. How central is God's word to you today? The second thing which I believe shows us about the path of failure in Peter's life is simply overconfidence. When Jesus tells everyone that he uh, is going to be arrested and they're going to fall away, Peter's response is, these weaklings might fall away, but they don't know me like you like me, Jesus, do they? I'll never fall away, Jesus. In fact, even if I have to die for you, I'm willing to go that far. You know, the Bible gives a strong warning about pride. We read these words in the book of Proverbs in chapter 16 and verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is this attitude which makes us feel like we're incapable of sin. And let me tell you something. I believe the more mature we become as Christians, actually the more susceptible to pride we can become. Because we start to believe that I've heard all the sermons, I don't need to really listen anymore. There's not anything that a sermon can teach me. We start to think, well, others might struggle with certain sins, but I've been a Christian for a long time now. Those things won't affect me anymore. The reality is, whether you've been a Christian for 20 years or 20 minutes, you still need to bow the knee to King Jesus just as much as you ever did. And when we forget that, it leads to a path of failure. The third thing we see in Peter's life is really peer pressure from the wrong sort of crowd. That night, when Jesus was betrayed, Peter sits by a fire 
warming himself, surrounded by people who are literally hostile to Jesus. Notice, though, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was surrounded by people who loved Jesus, he was willing to draw his sword and cut a guard's ear off. Now, that's not the right reaction, but actually there was a certain amount of boldness in the life of Peter when he was surrounded by people who loved Jesus. Suddenly, he's surrounded by people who don't, and he cowers. He calls down curses upon himself. He says, I never even knew the guy. I've never met him. Falling away in this kind of way is often a progression. We see that in Psalm 1, don't we? If we were to read Psalm 1 together this morning, what we see at the beginning of Psalm 1 are words which tell us what a righteous person doesn't do. We read this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit with the company of mockers. Do you see the parallels there in the life of Peter? Peter found himself walking with the wrong crowd in order to go and see what was going on with Jesus and how he was being questioned. He finds himself standing to observe what is going on and what is happening as Jesus is being interrogated. Then he finds himself sitting by a fire, warming himself with people that don't like Jesus very much. And as a result, the pressure comes from the crowd and it becomes too much for him to take and it leads to failure. So how are you doing right now, I wonder? Do you feel like a failure? Does it feel like really over the course of this last 12 to 18 months, everything has gone wrong for you? Have you messed up? Have you got things wrong? Have you turned your back on God? And are you left wondering today, is there a way back for me? With God, there is always a comeback. And we see that in the life of Peter. You see, Jesus did not leave Peter in his failure, but he restores him and he repurposes him and he sets him on a path which will ultimately shake up the world. Here's the thing. If you are a human, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to sin. You're going to mess up. You're going to fail. The thing which shows real strength is what you do after you fail. You can sit down and you can wallow in that failure and you can allow that failure to consume you or you can choose to get up and get on and allow God to restore you again. And what we see in the life of Peter also are three steps towards restoration. And the first step this morning is another simple step. The first thing we see in the life of Peter is that if we're going to be restored, we need to admit our failures. You see, after the rooster crowed that day, Peter realised what he had done. Can you imagine how he must have been feeling in that moment when he heard that rooster crow and to see what had happened, to realise that he had done the unthinkable? Allow me a little bit of artistic license for a moment. Jesus would have been shortly after this moment led away from that courtroom that he had been interrogated in. His eyes would have been swollen. His face would have been bruised and bloodied. And as he was led away, I wonder if there was a look between Peter and Jesus. What would have been going through Peter's mind as their eyes met? You know, I don't imagine that, would have, that look would have been a look of anger or disappointment from Jesus, but it would have been a look which suggested, this is what I said was going to happen. Now, what are you going to do about it? 
You see, when it comes to sin, when it comes to failure, we generally have two options. We can try to hide it and we can pretend it's not there. We can try to sweep it under the carpet and get on with our life, which, by the way, never, ever works. We read these words in Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You see, when we conceal our sin, when we try to pretend it's not there, when we try to sweep our failures under the carpet, what actually happens is it leaves us in this kind of bondage because we have this constant reminder all the time of the way that we failed and the way that we've messed up. And as a result, we can never truly be free. But the path to restoration is that we admit our sin. We admit our failures. We admit those times where we have messed up. And it's then and it's only then that God begins to lift that burden from us and do a work of renewal in our lives. You know, as Christians, let's be honest, we are rubbish, absolutely rubbish at admitting our sin and admitting our failures. We want to portray this picture to the rest of the church that we've got it all together, that our lives are rosy, that what you see on a Sunday when we come dressed in our Sunday best is how we live every single day of our lives. We're worried that if people knew, really knew the mess that was in my life, actually that's going to do a disservice to witness because people aren't going to believe the gospel if they knew what I'm really like, are they? When the reality is we're all broken. We've all messed up. We all need a saviour. And when we can be open and honest about that, that's when we begin to heal. You know, I get a lot of talk at the moment about these things and about masks. And people have got a lot of different opinions about whether we should be wearing masks or we shouldn't be wearing masks. Let's be honest, church. We were wearing masks before they were cool. We were wearing masks and pretending that everything was all right before the government were telling us we had to put masks on. The reality is, if you want to know freedom, you have to ditch the mask. And I'm not talking about the face masks that coronavirus is making us wear. We have to ditch the mask. We have to say, this is me. I am messed up. I am broken. I am sinful. And I need your help. Because when we do, that is the point where we begin to know the restoration of Jesus in our life. The second thing that we we see in the life of Peter is a step of repentance. After the rooster crowed, the scriptures tell us that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He realized what he had done. He realized how he had failed. But we need to understand that sorrow and repentance, whilst they go together, are different things. Sorrow on its own is not enough. It doesn't lead to life change. Repentance literally means to have a change of heart, to change direction and to change your behaviour. You know, there was another one of Jesus' disciples who messed up that night, who failed that night. His name was Judas Iscariot. He sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. When he realised what he had done, he had regrets. But there was no repentance. In fact, he went out and he hung himself. Peter, on the other hand, was not only sorry for what he had done, he didn't only just weep, he went and he joined the other disciples again. He realised he needed a turnaround, he needed a change, he needed to go back. And as a result, he was there on that Easter Sunday evening where Jesus appeared to the disciples. I wonder if there are things in your life right now that God is calling you to change.
Is there a turnaround that needs to happen? Because repentance is the key to restoration. The third thing that we see in terms of restoration from failure in the life of Peter is that he was called to serve God's people again. You know, Jesus not only predicted that that Peter would deny him, he also predicted that actually he was going to get back on track as well. We read these words in Luke chapter 22, 31 to 32. Simon, that is Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter failed the Lord when he denied Jesus, but his faith didn't fail. Jesus was not finished with Peter, and I want to tell you today, Jesus is not finished with you. We see the restoration in John chapter 21. We see this amazing scene that after uh, Peter had failed Jesus, he goes back and does what he knows best. He goes back and he goes for a night of fishing. He fishes all night long and captures absolutely nothing. He's dejected and despondent as he heads back to the shore and he hears a voice call from the shore. Have you caught any fish tonight, Peter? No, he responds. Well, throw your net onto the other side and see what happens. So he does it. And as he pulls up the net, the sound of the flapping of fish is deafening. The bulge of his net is almost too big for him to be able to deal with. And he realizes who it is and he jumps out the boat and he swims over to Jesus. And Jesus is there on the shore. He's cooking fish that he already has on a fire. And he asks Peter three times in the course of a conversation, Peter, do you love me? Peter was cut to the core when he heard that question asked of him a third time. And he says, Jesus, you know that I love you. Jesus' response, go and feed my sheep. Do you see the pattern which is emerging from this comeback series? When it all feels like things have gone wrong, when it feels like all hope has gone, when it feels like it's the time to give up, to jack it all in and say, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Jesus says to us, let's go again. Let's continue. Let's stand up and be counted. Let's do what, what the work of the church, which was always supposed to be what we were supposed to do. I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I'll set you on the right path again. And you know, four weeks or so after this encounter on the shore, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And this time he has stood up in front of thousands of people. And this time he doesn't deny Jesus, but he preaches this message, which is so powerful, so Holy Spirit driven, that thousands, literally thousands, give their lives to Christ that day. Peter had failed, but it wasn't fatal. And he went on to become one of the leaders of the early church. John Maxwell once said, failing doesn't mean that I am a failure. It means that I have not yet succeeded. It doesn't mean that I've accomplished nothing. It just means I've learned something. It doesn't mean that I'll never make it. It means I have a reason to start over again. It doesn't mean God has abandoned me. It just means that he has a better deal. So where are you at today, right now, I wonder? Do you look back on the wreckage of this last season and think to yourself, it's all gone wrong? It's all over. I've messed up. There's no way back. I failed God and he won't use me anymore. With God's church, there is always a comeback. And today, 
I believe that God wants to begin to release some people from the burden of failure. Jesus said, come to me all who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wants to see you to see today that it's not over, that his plans and his purposes are still just as relevant for you and this church today as they always have been. So today, church, let's allow the Holy Spirit to meet with us and start again. The artist Samuel Beckett once said, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And if you're in the room, I'm going to invite you to stand. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, will you meet with us this morning? Look for all of those who are in this room right now and are burdened by the feelings of failure. Maybe because of past actions that they regret. Maybe because of what's gone on in their lives over the past 18 months or so. Maybe for historic reasons that have just simply never been able to shift. Father God, may today be the season, may today be the day where we know the lightness of your yoke, the easiness of your burden. May today be the day where we turn our eyes upon Jesus again. I wonder, church, this morning, if you can identify with this today. That you know you've been wearing a mask. You've been coming along to this place, or just pretending with friends that everything is okay, and everything is all right in your life. And today, you know you need to take off that mask. Today, you need to say, it is not okay. Life is tough, life is burdensome, and I need Jesus more than I ever have today. Today, church, I really believe that Jesus wants to meet with you. If that is you this morning, as we sing this next song, I want to invite you to come forward. And we would love to pray for you and with you today. People won't pry or ask questions about what's going on and why you're a failure. They'll simply lay a hand on your shoulder and they'll simply pray God's blessing over you that you might meet with the Holy Spirit in a very special and powerful way today. If that is you, I'd love you to come forward as we sing. I'd invite you as you do come forward to make sure, ironically, you are wearing a mask as you're prayed for. And indeed, if you're going to pray for people today, I'd ask you to put a mask on as well. But let's spiritually today begin to remove those masks which never should have been there. Let this be a place where healing reigns, that hope is restored, 
and that we can be real, open and honest with each other, that we can walk this journey together.